What's going on, Greetings and good day, and welcome to the 193rd edition of Birds All Day. I can't even keep track anymore. My name is Drew Ferris. This is a special edition of Birds All Day because we are talking uh, prospects. We're talking teens. We're talking teens with uh, Jeff Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus. The BP list dropped uh, earlier in the month. And now, today is the is the time. Today is the time for us to sit down and talk about uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. You might remember Jeff. We had him on the show uh, almost a year ago to do this very same thing where we wax poetic about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And that's going to happen one more time. Uh, it's, it's really good to get some outside perspective, somebody who sees a lot of these guys all the time, but also at the same time, uh, let there be no doubt. Everybody knows Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a star, and that is going to be the topic of conversation for much of this chat. So we'll be back again later this week with a full episode of Birds All Day, as per usual. But in the meantime, it is my hope that you enjoy this chat between myself and Jeff Paternostro, Jeffrey, I think is what I should be using his proper name, Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Perspectives. So sit back and enjoy and listen as we use every superlative in the book to describe Vladimir Jr. and the other players that are in the Jays farm system. Uh, starting now. By baseball prospectus, is are you the head prospect? Writer? So it's 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 they change my title all the time. It's lead prospect writer right now. Lead prospect writer Jeff Paternoso. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing well. It's you know prospectless season, so I'm just incredibly busy, not really sleeping or eating, and trying not to drink during the week. Right now, I'm drinking uh, vanilla Zen Polar Seltzer because I do live in New England, so we're a polar family. You know, you can't get that stuff here. It is. It's still very regional. I have, like, when friends come out from the West Coast for a Sabre seminar, they get very excited about being able to get Polar Seltzer instead of, like, LaCroix or the, uh, you know, everybody has seltzer now, it seems like. It's true. LaCroix has gone, uh, LaCroix in here in Canada. Is uh, You can get it at Whole Foods because we've got Whole Foods now, too. So yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, speaking of flavors, the Blue Jays' top 10 prospect uh, <laughs> ranking, which is what we're going to hear to talk about, it went up a couple weeks ago, but... Now is the time. Before the holidays, we're going to get in. We're going to talk about the teens. We're going to talk about uh, all the Blue Jays' top prospects. But before we talk about the Blue Jays' top prospect, let's talk about their best young player, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Of course, the number one prospect in the entire uh, in baseball sure. right now. A guy who should buy all... There's no reason that he is not yet a Major League Baseball player, and yet he is not. And he will continue to not be for a few days into April. Um, so... Well, last year, we, you and I had this conversation, and you, uh, we went on and on and, and slathered 
unfathomable comp <laughs> comparables onto him and very little would have changed between now and then in terms of the slathering and the drooling and the the sky high potential and the the not even potential like the now production available waiting in the wings yeah so someone asked me in a chat recently who i would take between vladito acuna and soto and like on a pure like long-term value play you could certainly make a case for vladito the problem is that you know there's always that little bit of uncertainty like can they do it in the majors and obviously we saw soto and acuna just mash and it looks right it's sustainable the talent's there the performance is there the tools are there production everything you'd possibly want so you can't really pick the dude that's still in the minor leagues it's it, it past a certain point and they were in the majors for you know almost all of last season but like on like pure upside it's <laughs> so i published this uh and i wrote i i implied basically said what I can responsibly write is a seven hit seven power, which is 300 hitter with 30 home runs. Um, which is, I think the first time I've ever given out those two grades together. Me, I think I had like Soto was like seven, six. He might end up seven, seven. I got a text from a scout friend of mine that morning, just like screaming at me for not writing him as eight, eight. He's like, it's the easiest <laughs> eight, eight I've ever had. I'm like, yeah, but the only person that's used that your report is your boss. I have thousands of people reading this. So, I'm not saying he's wrong. He might be very right. Um, and I think that's a totally reasonable case to make. And at that point, you're talking about, and when I wrote about him at the beginning of the year, I basically said, like, you know, the names that pop to mind when you watch him play baseball are, like, Miguel Cabrera. But you can't write that he's Miguel Cabrera because Miguel Cabrera is a first ballot Hall of Famer and probably the best right-handed hitter of his generation, depending on where you think Manny Ramirez's generation stops and Cabrera's begins. And that's just ludicrous. You don't write those comps because it's wildly irresponsible. Um, the other thing I kind of imply, which I don't think people actually got, which is probably for the best, is like the last line of the, of the piece was like, oh, well, what if he's better? And I don't think they realized I was saying, what if he's better than his father? <laughs> like that's the kind of like upside we're dealing with here. Now he could also like, you know, he could be Pablo Sandoval. And Pablo Sandoval had a very nice major league career. True. Um, you know, won a couple of World Series. Three. Made five. a bunch of all-star games. I think probably finished, has probably some top five MVP finishes in there as well. Made a bunch of money. You know, he could, made a bunch of money. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't have, like, the injuries, so maybe he just lasts longer. Maybe he's, you know, has a gentler decline period. Maybe he's like Victor Martinez or something like that. Mm. Um it's but it's just it's not natural man like i watch a lot of double a baseball uh you know my home park uh is hartford and before that it was new britain so you know i, I go up to new hampshire a lot too those are like my closest parks for most of the season so i see a lot of double a baseball like i know what good double a hitters look like i saw michael conforto come through in double a as like a polished college guy look really good like major league ready absolutely and, you know conforto's gone on he's made an all-star game he's been uh, excellent above average, you know, plus regular borderline all-star when he's been healthy. Mm -hmm. Like that's no, I have a frame of reference for that. That's all, that's all normal. That's all great. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this in, in Bo Bichette's comment too. It's like, Bo Bichette's a really good prospect. Like 
young for that level, big power, you know, and it won't be a great shortstop. I can probably play there for a few years. Be very good at second base, plus hit, plus power. And it's just like, you know, you're not there to see Boba Shed. It's just as good as he is. It's just, mm. I saw him for the first game this year. Um, I think it was in Hartford. Uh, yeah, I saw him early in Hartford, and then went up to New Haven because I had planned it, or New Hampshire. I had planned it back to back. And after the first game of watching him, I'm like, all right, I've got three or four more looks at him, weather permitting, like in the next week. I got to find a reason not to aid him mm-hmm. if it's out there. Cause like, it's just, it's, it's an easy scout. Um, there was an at bat against some middling, like lefty soft tossing middle reliever type. That's sort of an every double A bullpen. Mm-hmm. He was going up against Bichette and Bichette, like he was nibbling, you know, pitching around Bichette, Bichette fouls some stuff off. Wasn't really giving him a pitch to hit. It was close, like probably like three three in the seventh or something. So it was a reasonably close game. So Bichette finally works a walk, and I'm just watching Vlad in the on deck circle, standing there watching, watching, watching. Walks up there, zones the first pitch fastball, hits it out of the stadium. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, I don't know, I don't know what to, but what more you can you can do with that? Like I've had to write about him a lot this year, and. Because they didn't call him up, he's still sort of in my domain. I've just run out of words at this point. Like, you can, like, coldly recite the facts where it's like, yeah, 300 hitter, 30 home runs. You can probably stick at third base for a little bit. You know, I can just give you the tool grades here. He's actually a better runner than you think. He's not fast. But he's a better base runner than you'd think. Um, A cannon for an arm. But it's just like, it's... Like, I don't like to complain about my job. I do it, like, not, like, publicly. I'll do it to my colleagues and stuff. But, you know, it's like, I go to a lot of baseball games, had a lot of long days at the park. I drive all over the country. But, like, it's like, that's why you get out of bed is to go see guys like Vlad. And it doesn't come along that often. And um, he's going to be a superstar as long as the, you know, the body and health generally cooperate. Like, there's nothing he can't do. The bat control's insane. The bat speed's insane. He's got a good approach. Um, he's just, yeah, he's the, he's the best prospect I've ever personally seen. And, um, I, uh, my, my colleague and podcast co-host Jared Seidler made this point, like there's a chance that keeping him down for this extra year, um, you know, could cost him some career milestones. Now it, it may or may not, but you know, they got the guys that come up at 19, and are, and are that good, they can really compile some, you know, it might cost him 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. You know, it's silly to think about that when you're talking about, like, a, a 19-year-old prospect. But mm-hmm. that's how good he is. You start, like, framing things like that beyond just, like, service time manipulation is a bad idea generally. It, it, the word you used was irresponsible. And, and because you, like you said, the, the only person who sees it if your scout, uh, you know, friend puts an 8-8 on it is, is his boss who can laugh about it or slough it off. But, like, it's so e- your job is to be grounded in reality and understanding what the rigors of reality do to, you know, the, the, the guy, if it's a Kevin Biggio or whoever else, somebody has a pops up in double A and they have a big year because they're playing in a ballpark where maybe left-handed power plays a bit more. So you have to be the voice of reason. You have to look at it and, and, and project forward. But it's all, like you said, it's, and, and I think it's written in the, um, 
in the Jays' uh, uh, write-up as well. Like eight reports are the same as two reports. Like there's nothing to say. Yeah, there's nothing new. There's nothing to say. Yeah, it's it's you just write the total grades down and do the math in your head, basically. And like the, no, these guys don't exist. No, and there's no there's no dissent, right? I, like I'm, when you and your colleagues are, are coming together, is there is there one guy who's like, I don't buy it. I I can't I, I can't mean, see it. So we were actually uh, a little bit late. I'm a little bit late. We were very late on on Vlad Guerrero because I didn't have those reports out of short season. I think I've probably mentioned that on the on the podcast last year. I just didn't have them, um, and I tend to be very cautious with short season guys in general just because it's it's barely organized baseball in a lot of cases like it it's it's a fairly accurate facsimile of professional baseball but there's some weirdness there um and like there's a guy on the diamondbacks list that just went up uh today christian robinson who's like 17 and played in the complex i think out in like the pioneer league this year and i really like if there's a guy I'm going to be a year late on, the same way I was sort of late on Vlad, it might be that guy because, like, everything's there. But I don't quite, like, you do get a little bit of managing to the press conference sometimes. Like, you don't. These dudes' rankings go up on their baseball reference player pages forever. So you don't want to look uh, look bad if you can avoid it. Like, I know I'm going to be wrong about a whole bunch of people on the 101 this year, just like I was last year for a variety of reasons because we're talking about, you know, young athletes that develop and regress in different ways, um, some foreseeable, some not. But I do wonder at some point if I like if like if you can't go whole hog on Vlad Guerrero Jr. at this point, like why are you why are you even bothering doing this job? You're just being a killjoy. Well, I wrote about Vlad for Vice Sports this year and I and I said that there's never been a prospect like him. Not that there have never there not that there haven't been other highly touted right hand power hitter prospects of questionable positional utility but because he he hits like he does and because of who he is you know because of his his name and his father and the legend that his father is and then the fact that he's playing in double a like you said and 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 uh, some of the even the lower leagues it just sort of exists in myth and then suddenly a grainy video or like a scout someone takes a video from the seats and then you see a ball that that goes beyond the light standard because on those low levels it's not you know like you said hit it out of the stadium it just fuels that 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 prospect hype it fuels that unbelievable um uh of uh, excitement for a, for this rare once in a lifetime prospect who has all of those pieces together that just his, the name alone, and then the, the home run of Montreal uh, in a pre in a, in a spring training game, and he hits a walk off home run in Montreal. It's like this is a, a, like we're watching a legend being born before us, except of course that he's still playing Triple A. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I'm sure it'll keep him down. It's, yeah, he's not on the forty yet, so I have to keep him down two weeks instead of the full like twenty six days or whatever it is in any given year. But uh, I just. You should want, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, to get this guy. Like, this guy is a star. Like, whatever you're, you know, paying the – if you brought him up after Super 2 last year or whatever, you know, the extra half year of control or whatever it functionally turns into, like, you're going to make all that money back in marketing if he's any good. And if he's any good, you're going to want to sign him to a long-term extension early anyway. Like, these are things that, like, normal – 
baseball teams should just be doing as a matter of course um, with their top young players. And it doesn't for varied reasons because of, and like you have to keep in mind, like at the point where it became obvious that Vladimir Guerrero was major league ready, June, uh, major uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was major league ready, which was literally two weeks into the season. You know, the Blue Jays were got off to a decent start. Mm-hmm. They were hanging around the wild card race. Like, does that change their season the way it plays out? Probably not, but you don't know that at the time. Like, that's a chance to catch lightning in the bottle, like the Braves did with Acuna. And the Nationals did with Soto, right? A guy, Soto was a guy who wasn't even, you know, maybe not, I don't know about being laid off, but he wasn't the guy. Started the year in A-ball. Mind, right? Started the year in A-ball, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a Nationals fan. I'm not a prospect, you know, super, you know, consuming that that world but he he vaulted up and then he took a shot i mean there's more value to them but i guess the 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 bigger point is if you're not making plans to make vladimir guerrero a member of your team the cornerstone of your team for as long as humanly possible then what are you doing i guess is my question what is it that they think they're doing if they're worried about signing him down the road when it's just like just pay him pay him whatever he'll be worth then give it to him because this is such a, a one in a million so yeah, I mean, it's it's like a perfect storm in a lot of ways. You know, yeah. this applies to, you know, any number of teams and any number of top prospects. But this is kind of like a little bit of a, of a I don't want to say a unique situation, but, you know, it's like if you were going to do it for any team and any prospect, this would seem like the the perfect match. Um, he's, you know, he is a franchise-changing player, conceivably. Like, he is the guy, like, even if it's like, even if it doesn't, if he doesn't quite, you know, major league sliders are tough to hit. And he's maybe if it's like, even if it's like seven hits, six, but like he's still good. At, like the downside here is probably he's at least a good regular for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's not going to get paid heavily in arbitration anyway. It's like a corner dude that doesn't accrue a ton of, but this is like all like efficiency and process. Stuff. Like it doesn't matter. Like I want to talk about like the aesthetics here and the aesthetics are just like, you want like Vlad Guerrero Jr., Juan Soto, and Ronald Acuna in the All Star game last year. Mm-hmm. Like that's like, that's great. It's great for baseball. Like this kind of like great young stars is, you know, what you these are like franchise. They're all very charismatic dudes too. Um, like this should be like a no brainer, easy win for the Blue Jays for Major League Baseball. But instead, um, you know, it's we have a front office processes in place that say no, no, no. You have to maximize your six years of control and and yada 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 and well all these teams are just making money hand including the blue jays making money hand over fist from you know baseball revenue is wildly up like it's just there are a variety of revenue streams that are all feeding into the team and then they're well not at the risk of hyperbole they're depriving us fans and the people within the game and outside the game of, uh, of watching, like you said, maybe watching these three young guys get ready to take the league into this next um, generation. Although yeah. the guy who's kind of currently there is is only, what, 26? <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, I like, look, I like young, young Garbage Solarte. He's a fun, he's a neat player. Come on, really, come on. <laughs> uh, so let's move on. So that's the Vlad yep. thing. You said 7-7. Seven, seven. You could easily have done... Seven eight eight seven eight eight. Yeah, any 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 of those possibilities are. It's weird to say I might be low on a dude. I ranked as the best prospect in baseball in an OFP eighty, <laughs> but there you go. Um, so let's move on to to Bobichet. Um, 
who again Blue Jays fans are uh, definitely appreciate and and is a top you know depending on who you top ten top twenty uh, a valuable piece no matter what. But uh, the the thing that I like and and I want I want you to tell me if this is a bit of a newer thing is that he has an unconventional swing. Yeah. But you and the team aren't penalizing for that. The whole like it, he makes it work is that so maybe some something of an adjustment in the way that everybody looks at these young players not trying to force them into a box or force them into one particular swing you know a, a guy who can hit obviously and is supremely athletic and, and talented he makes it work it, it does it makes it di- more maybe more difficult for you to project him but also you're more willing to kind of let it, let it play itself out sort of I mean, it depends. Like, you can see all these, a lot of guys that, like, come out of, like, IMG or the same five hitting coaches, and they have this kind of, like, cookie-cutter sort of leverage swing, and it all works, and it's all fine, and then it just comes down to, like, hand-eye and back control and a variety of other of other factors. But with, like, Bichette, it's just, like, again, it's not something you teach. Um, and in a lot of ways, he does, like, if you're doing sort of, like, basic, you know, hitting, scouting things, like, you can see, like, you get taught like the third base, like oh, if he then if you bar the front arm, it's bad. If there's like bat wrap behind the head that adds length to the swing, it's bad. It's like it's like specific things that sort of on their own mm-hmm. are th- like sort of negative markers for success against you know better velocity, being able to adjust to off speed, any variety of things. And then you watch Bichette do it, just doesn't matter because he's a freak of nature, mm-hmm. um, and. It's not something you would teach, but it just works. Like, he's got such great bat speed and such great hand-eye um, that despite the fact the swing does get a little long at times, he can really let the ball get deep and drive it hard the opposite way. Um, you know, there's always a chance that, like, major league hitters, uh, major league pitchers find holes there that minor league pitchers haven't yet. And th- But that's true of, like, pretty much every prospect. It's like the old, uh, you know, Mike Trout can't hit high fastballs thing from a couple of years ago you know these guys all have to make adjustments uh, mm-hmm. in the majors and he's like he's very fast twitch he's a good athlete um he's listed at six foot 200 pounds i don't think he's six foot 200 pounds uh, having seen him uh fairly up close in bp and stuff like that um but it doesn't matter like he just gets the power is easy like the swing's not easy like he swings hard mm-hmm. but the like the actual the way the ball comes off the bat like it's just it just goes it just goes for days um, you know, he does have a little bit more of a position, uh, positional bonus, defensive bonus, defensive value mm-hmm. than, uh, than Vlad's going to. He's one of those guys that really grew on me at shortstop. Like I was ready to write him up at second base the first couple times I saw him. Cause it's just like, he grinds, like he wor- he's works very hard in the infield. Um, you know, he's got good instincts, good hands. It's like everything is like a little bit short for shortstop. Like it just doesn't quite pop enough that you want from sort of your like fast twitchy uh, major league shortstop. But they don't like make like a plus shortstop play every once in a while. And he's really good around the bag. And maybe he can play shortstop for a few years with, you know, modern positioning and stuff like that. He'd be a very good second baseman. So, you know, that's additional value if he doesn't have the offensive upside. Uh, that Vlad does. And he was, he struggled at times uh, in double A this year. Um, but again, he was a 20 year old in double A. So he was young for the level. They were very aggressive with him last year in his first full professional season. Like he's just, he's like, yeah, right. He's nice. He's nice. He's a top 20 prospect in baseball. That, you know, he'd be number one in, oh, probably close to 
half the organizations Mm -hmm. in baseball right now. But instead, we talk about him in somewhat muted terms after I spend 15 minutes waxing about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But it's probably the top, the best one-two prospect punch in baseball right now. Um, I guess you could make a case for like, I mean, we have Nick Senzel and Taylor Trammell, the Reds, pretty high, but not this high. So it's, you know, and they're both like, Bichette could be ready this year at some point. I think he'll start in AAA, and then it's just like whenever you want to make a phone call, basically. Do, and I know I'm not, I'm not sure how much you like, you, yeah, I don't know that you necessarily write about this kind of stuff as much, but, but I, my sense and, and the things that I've read is, is that Bichette's a, like a real, he works hard. Like he's a real, uh, he plays like a maniac. And, and, and I yes, like he that. does. <laughs> and, and even Vlad too. And, and the Blue Jays, uh, John Lott of The Athletic wrote actually a, a bunch this year about the Blue Jays are breeding that into a lot of their players. They want them to be maniacs on the bases. They want them to play really hard and really aggressive on the bases. And, and it seems like that comes very naturally to Bo Bichette from what everything said. Her, uh, yeah, he's like, you just said as, as well. He's, he's a little, like, I don't want to say nuts. Cause that's not, that's not the right term, but he's very, uh, it's like controlled aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's just, even like the swing, like he wants to just murder the baseball every time he gets out there. You know, he wants to, He's a little bit of a dirty uniform guy and like a profile you would usually associate with like like dirty uniforms. Usually they're not like top tier prospects mm-hmm. uh, for the most part when we use that particular cliche. Um, but a lot of this is too like, you know, you can have very do various things when you're dealing with bloodlines guys. I can go in a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. But there, I think there is some advantage to like growing up around Major League Baseball and sort of knowing sort of what it takes. I think and like having that those like resources when you have a bad over for, um, you know Brian Bannister um, pitched for the Mets and the Royals and is now the the pitching coordinator for the Boston Red Sox talked about this uh, when he first came up sort of like because his father was Floyd Bannister who pitched in the majors forever was first overall pick he's like yeah when I was having a bad time on the road in the minors or something I just called my father and he like he there he could give me like real world practical advice because he'd done it too. And I think there is value in that uh, for, you know, developmental stuff in the minors, even after the, maybe you have a leg up um, or sort of your amateur preparation before that. The, well, obviously, Bo Bichette has that with Dante Bichette. But I think there was a Blue Jays connection, a former Blue Jays connection now, was that he was close with Troy Tulowitzki as well. And in my mind... I'm definitely fusing them together with Tulowitzki being obviously a very big, very talented guy, but also like this maniacal worker. And I'm in my, in my mind, I'm, I'm assigning a lot of those characteristics to Bo Bichette as well. And it makes me very excited because while it may have like cost Tulo some years off his career, uh, potentially, whenever you see the, the guys they used to, the, you know, the, a, a person who once sat in your chair used to describe it as want, like guys who want to get better, guys who want to play and, <laughs> and play hard. And, and it, and maybe there was a time when, when someone like myself would have maybe scoffed, like, man, whatever, you're either good or you're not. But to see that, I think it's really encouraging. And, and it seems like the dirty uniform guys who are also very talented, I think they have a really good chance of really working their way into the hearts of a lot of fans. Those are the kind of guys that people tend to love 
I will say you have to be a little. I'm a little cautious with that kind of stuff, just because it's like Latrell Sprewell. Both teams played hard. Like all these guys had to work. Like no, no. They course. talk about baseball players being like you know lazy or coasting on talent or not clutch. Like baseball is very, very difficult and mm-hmm. very, very self-selecting. So like the guys that do coast on talent, like yeah, maybe one out of a hundred of those dudes make like, like are just so talented they can make the majors and not really have to really have to work at their game but it's right. it's very very rare and yes you know some guys do work harder than others certainly it's it, it's a continuum but i think especially from from my vantage point and my perspective that's something that's going to be incredibly difficult for me to evaluate like it's always going to be second or third hand stories to that effect mm-hmm. like sometimes you hear enough of them where it's like clear the guy is or isn't but those are the, the, I think, the extreme outliers. Most of the players are sort of in the, the mush ball middle there. All right. So we don't necessarily we don't, we don't want to just tick down the list, but the one name, and I don't know how much you got to see him, but sort of the, with the talk about extreme uh, ends of the of the probability of or the spectrum is uh, Eric Pardino. So obviously he's very <laughs> sure. very young, uh, very small. But playing, you know, not playing on the complex. This is a guy that that was playing in the uh, which league is that? Uh, playing for Blue. He's in the Appalachian League. Uh, yeah. So I mean, did you have a chance to see him, or or what? What are your impressions of of him? Again, a guy who is just so so like there's not a lot of uh, precedence for for guys like that. You know, the, the, who are both the, the size and the age playing against you know what are ostensibly men. Uh, what 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 have you seen or heard about him that makes you encouraged or, or worried? So I didn't catch him down when I was in the Appy, but he was, let's say, a uh, popular topic of conversation mm-hmm. uh, in the scout seats while I was down there. Um, you know, he's he's a weird one because there's like a type of young IFA prospect you see, like the good ones that you see in the Appy League, and they don't look like him. They don't have the uh, as advanced stuff as he does, you know, there are guys like there's like the Yankees, Luises, Medina, and Gill, both that just big dudes that throw really damn hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and like maybe it's a projectable body, or they, you know, they'll flash something. They have a developing clue of secondary stuff and like that. And like Pardino's not like that. Pardino's just like like a four pitch seventeen year old in the Abbey League, which is you know with you know above average you know, present above average major league fastball velocity. It's just such a weird profile to like rank against someone like, you know, Sean Reed Foley, mm-hmm. uh, for example, who's the guy right behind him, who's, you know, built like a number three starter and already in the majors. Um, I would say that I am being, I would guess I'm being a little more cautious than some other national sources are going to be. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you wanted to put him, uh, in your top 100 and even fairly high in it, I, I, I get it. Like, I absolutely get it. It's just, for me, it's like, what does this look like in, in three years? Like it's, it's not projectable. It's probably the stuff's probably going to stay about, like you can always refine, you can always get better. I expect that to happen with reps, get more comfortable with the secondary stuff. It's just like, he's a five foot, 10 righty he may get a little bit taller that's always possible but he's not going to be like you know Forrest Whitley when it's all said and done he's probably not even going to be Sean Reed Foley size wise Mm -hmm. I just like 
I don't have a frame of reference for what that like the the game is all cops, mm-hmm. um, and it's just tough to comp him at his current point in his development, like finding that uh, that sort of pro career you can kind of argue like oh it'll probably end up looking like this, like I guess you could do like Marcus Stroman if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Sort of like short righties in the Blue Jays system, but you know Stroman was a proven college performer mm-hmm. uh, that was always going to be fast moving, you know, with, with reliever risk. Like those dudes exist because we just have more information on them by the time they're 21. Uh, you know, Eric Cardinio was born in 2001, which let me tell you is very depressing. Isn't it? To be raking a dude, raking a dude born in uh, 2001. Um, I guess but, the thing for me is. It's almost a, I think it, it cuts both ways, but what would he, what kind of a prospect he wouldn't necessarily be on your radar, but if he was just a kid from Southern California who was right. on like the perfect game circuit, so he yeah. he's smallish and he doesn't throw as hard as these big armed goons that are you know they're lining them from foul pole to foul pole, but he's just out there getting people out. Would he have people as excited? Would it be like this is, you know. Like a like when Dylan Bundy was in high school or whatever, like some kid who is going to go straight to the big leagues and want a big league contract, like or or would there be a lot more? Would people be a lot more hesitant to to, to be talking him up in that way? You know, the funny thing is, um, this actually is a really good point because something like Perfect Game and like most of the, your IFA signings, you're seeing these guys in in showcase settings. Mm-hmm. So you're like they're you know your average. You know, 15-year-old IFA that's going on pitcher is going on showcases. You know, he's trying to just max out his fastball, maybe flash a big breaker or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you hope he has like, you know, if he's probably like six foot three and 140 pounds or something like that, whatever, like some sort of like projectable frame. You know, Pardino got noticed because he was pitching for the freaking Brazilian national team in WBC qualifying at 15. Yeah, he was pitching in high stakes game situations, which is just not something you really get in that sort of like perfect game or IFA showcase circuit nowadays. Um, you can't even, you don't even really get it in high school and Legion, you know, maybe something like the college world series or something like that. But again, you're dealing with a different, you know, you're dealing with a different type of prospect at that point, different type of, you know, human being at that point, really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between like 15 and 21. So it does make it a little bit more like, it's the kind of guy I'd like I'd like to be higher on, but I just have one of those like nagging doubts in the back of my head. Like we've I've gotten burned on a lot of these IFA guys too, um, you know, big bonus guys. So I tend to be a little bit more cautious as I'd be another guy where you're late on. Like I expect him to go to the Midwest League next year. I think you'll start to get a better. I think he'll be like 18 years old in the Midwest League, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it never happens. Um, you know, Julio Urias might not be a bad. Uh, comp here it's a righty lefty comp mm-hmm. but as far as like pre and yeah curious had a little bit more fastball from the left side and he was a little bit bigger but it's that same kind of like advanced pitch mix not super projectable i know Urias is left-handed which does make a big difference mm-hmm. but you know it's that that's kind of the path you, if you want sort of like the the best case scenario path from as a prospect it would look something like that where he's just such a precocious pitcher that he's able to move quickly just on uh, his present stuff. Um, you know, I think we put his, let me put his major league ETA at 
2023. Like, <laughs> but it could be like before that, like Urias was a guy where it just boom and it went and he was basically up in three years. Um, yeah, so it could be 2021 or something, um, which is, is still kind of crazy because he will be 20 years old, which I think is about when, when Urias got up to. So, you know, if you want to look at it that way, um, it's just even beyond sort of, um, you know, Urias is kind of unique background. He's even a little bit weirder. Mm-hmm. Here's a comp for you. Uh, Rubinho. So Pardinho's <laughs> Brazilian. So we got to go out completely out of baseball and like a small young guy, a lot of hype, very yeah. young, came over to play and then sort of, I mean, Rubinho had a good career. He's not. Rubinho had a great career. Come on. I mean, I say he bounced around, which is to say he didn't play in England any longer. <laughs> Actually, one name I'll go back up the list a, bit, a little bit. Someone who did have a little, maybe a little bit of helium and that's Kevin Smith. Yes. So another shortstop. Um, is, is, was he a guy that, uh, you, you know, you talk about not wanting to be laid on or you laid on, not, maybe not laid on him, but what is it about him? And it, was it just pure performance or was it, was there something that, that he did that really kind of flicked the light on for a lot of, for himself and for people who are watching him play this year? Yeah. So he's like every day, like early day to college shortstop that can, they can pick it a little bit, but nobody knows if he'll actually hit with with wood, essentially. And basically, yeah, he just came out and absolutely mashed. Um, with two, I, I don't, I don't think he's a twenty home run hitter in the majors. I know he absolutely destroyed the ball this year, but you know, it's like he's a nice, well balanced, you know, middle infield piece, offense and defense, like. So now that we think he can hit and we think he can play shortstop, um, that makes him uh, like. And I, I write a lot of these guys uh, over the course of of, of thirty teams. Um, you know, he's like a a better version of a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's, I think he's sort of like what you would have hoped Logan Warmoth would have been. So it's like a trade off. Kevin Smith is maybe not a not an exciting package, but like like a solid those kind of players yeah he's like a, he's a be solid a above average major league regular like it's not going to be uh spectacular mm-hmm. but he's going to be he's going to have a nice long career in the majors probably as a regular for most of it um you know you, you still got to see it in double a mm-hmm. you know he was a you know a proven college performer in a ball so it's maybe not as much information as you'd like, it's not complete information. Um, you know, I would expect most early day two uh, college bats to perform well at those two levels. You know, irrespective of uh, the quality of the major league tools. I mean, we think we use major league tools here, which is why he's ranked as highly as he is. But you know, it's there's still going to be some further proving ground kind of stuff to go next year. Is there anybody else in the system that really that you that you like more than everybody else? I I, I think there's one, but I'll, I'll put put it to you this way: Is there somebody that you were maybe battling hard for, or saying like, "No, nah, he's a top ten guy," or he's not, or or is there or or the other way, somebody you're way more pessimistic about that uh, everyone else has? Yeah, I like. I'm just, I'm extremely. I've gone like in so many different directions on Anthony Alford over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Like he's the kind of player I love, but it's just like a certain point, like he just can't stay healthy. It's like he can't stay healthy. He can't stay on the field. 
Um, and you also worry that's just going to erode the skills at some point. You might have already, you know, seen that this year. He played 100 games at AAA and didn't hit. Mm. Um, you know, he's not young at this point. You know, he was a two-sport guy. You know, he has had, again, a absolute litany of injuries. Um, but that also, like, does matter, I think. You know, it's the old Will Carroll canard, health is a skill. Um it does, you know, the more you get hurt, the more I'm worried you're going to get hurt again, basically. Um, you know, beyond that, it's not the it's not the deepest system in the world. You know, I joke that the state of the system is like, okay, Mark, it's probably a top five system, which it is. But it's sort of on the strengths as a top end talent. Um, I also tend, I think, to weight the top end talent a little bit more higher, more highly in like org rankings type things over depth, just because, again, you know, these are the these are the franchise change, changing impact type players. When you have those, like it's easier, it's easy to find the, let's say, you know, it's easy to find the Kevin Biggios of the world or the, you know, Hector Perez's. The TJ um, you, know, you can, it's, the TJ Twix. You can, you, you can you need to have those guys. You need right. No, you need them. Yes. And, and if you collect it and you collect enough of them and you usually one of them will turn into something more mm-hmm. just on pure, you know, the pure vagaries of, development and you know it's somebody hits their 75th percentile projection basically if you collect enough of them the, so the guy that i always go back to is like a joe saunders like it's not yeah it's, it's a good one <laughs> it's just... but it's like he'll have a long career he'll make a lot of money and he'll he's not going to make any team great but he's going to keep a bunch of teams from being worse than they could have been john garland has always been my guy for that the Blue Jays seem to, they had a great ability to sort of churn those guys up out of nowhere, like a Sean Markham almost, where, yeah. but and they, well, they turn them into effective players and they, they kick them around, they get innings out of them and then off they go. But, um, but yeah, I, I call me crazy, but I'll happily take, take a, a team that's heavy on generational talents. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can, if you're scoring them too low versus a raft of tj zoics or i mean it's good to have good it's good to have not awful players but it's really nice to have excellent players well the, the thing is too if you if like like i said if if vlad or bobachet or even like nate pearson you know fall short of that projection they could still be extremely productive major leaguers now maybe pearson's a you know an eighth inning guy you need eight, like having a good setup man mm-hmm. that's great and you know if bichette falls a little bit short maybe he's i don't know like a average slightly above you know shortstop second base type that's great that's great that dude plays in in the majors for a decade um you know if vlad falls short again maybe he's oh geez oh too bad he's pablo sandoval like <laughs> like that's it when you miss on those guys you still get really useful major league regulars when you know when sean reed Foley doesn't hit his projection it's like you know, he's like a triple a shuttle guy mm. um well, and that's just like again you can on the field it's like yeah the tools are great and it's all very yeah. enticing but it also you know you end up with dalton pompey and it's mm-hmm. like yeah yeah so it's in like those are the guys you can you know you can if you need that kind of like triple mm-hmm. a shuttle starter depth is something you can you can find you know easily enough you can't find vladimir Guerrero jr no you, i mean you can't even really it's even harder to find guys like i would say like kevin smith and nate pearson um so like collecting as much high-end talent as possible is uh, you know, that's something I think the Padres and the Rays have both realized. Like, I think they're at this point probably 
I've seen a lot. I don't want to say bifurcation because that's not accurate, but there's like a much wider range of prospects talent within orgs now from like top to bottom. Like the bad, since I started doing this, like I feel like the bad orgs have gotten worse and the, and the good orgs have gotten a lot better. And that's, you know, some of that's a function of Houston and Boston trading a lot of guys to, you know, Milwaukee too, trading guys to find impact major league talent that has, you know, helped them win divisions and pennants and world series. And that's fine. That's a perfectly fine use of your farm system. Flags fly forever, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And, but it just feels like the, the teams that are collecting them at the top right now, like I just mentioned the Padres and the Rays specifically, it's just the, it's I've never, like even when I think back to like those really good like Royals farm systems of like 10 years ago, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the Braves have uh, historically often, often historically had really good farm systems, even the more recent like Yankees versions. It doesn't feel like they have the have had the depth that the the Padres and the Rays have, and it's not hard to like you know the Padres got Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields, like that's a little bit of a you know lightning strike kind of thing, right? But and also some of that's just their internal development of Fernando Tatis. He was not that player when they traded for him. That kind of stuff matters too. Absolutely. But it just feels like like some of these teams are just like hoarding and hoarding talent. And I just do I do wonder how like what like when when do you make the move? Who do you decide how to trade? Like, they, they, Toronto doesn't really have that depth. So Toronto's going to, you know, they're going to play. They could literally roll out Vlad, Kevin Smith, and Bo Bichette in 2020, left to right in the infield. You can probably play Kevin Biggio at first. You know, and maybe at that point, you want to play Vlad at first or at DH, and mm-hmm. you shift guys around, and that's fine, too. And you still have Yangabar Solarte, who, who is cool. I do actually, like, I want to cast this version on Yangabar Solarte. He's No fun. longer a Blue Jay, though. He oh, he isn't? Non-tendered. I did not want to watch a lot of late-season Blue Jays baseball, if I'm not honest did, with you. Neither did uh, Yanira Salarte. He did not. <laughs> either, so. um, I think that's, that's a great play. I do want to say, I think the royal system, just to quickly put a, tie a, a bow on this, is a, almost a perfect example of what you were just talking about. Because I don't think that when the whenever everyone is saying this is the best farm system of all time, and they're sitting on this, that they thought that Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakas in particular would end up being the, like the kind of major league baseball players that they are, where they're not like, they're not generational talents. They're not hall of fame ball players, but they have both had nice careers. Yeah, absolutely. And won the world series. And if, if you it said, is. if you, if you looked at Eric Hosmer in isolation when he was 19 and said, he's, these are going to be his career numbers. You'd be like, that's, that's really low on what I would expect. Give us considering, how he looks in the uniform and what his swing looks like <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, he's rich as fuck. And he won the World Series. Really yeah. career. So I think that's a good reminder. And also, this is obviously not a Royals zone. We don't, we don't look, look kindly upon them. But it is a good reminder of, of how those things can Ten, work out. 10% better than league average for his career. He's an above average major league hitter. He's won a bunch of gold gloves that he may or may not deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's like... And like for a keep my dude was a high school first baseman. Like that's like about the least successful general draft mm. profile outside of maybe high school catchers. So and high school like prep righties. So yeah, school players in general, in a lot of cases. Short stops are fine. Center fielders are fine. Shortstops only. They're all short stops. Yeah. Or else they're out. Just, yeah, everybody everybody short stops and center fielders when they're eighteen anyway, so 
that's all the time I'm going to take of yours. So, so uh, Jeffrey Paternostro, thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure. I always look forward to these to these chats, and I'm hopefully we'll we'll talk to you again before the year is out. Uh, where can the people read you? What what can they expect from you before the new year comes? Um, I mean, it's just a bunch of baseball prospectus prospect lists. We have uh, the Diamondbacks went up on Monday. We round out the week with the Nationals and the Pirates, and I think we go dark for Christmas. Will I write all the uh, 101 entries for the annual, which will also be coming out in January. I don't like if you can pre-order it on Amazon yet. Usually you can by now, but if not, you'll be able to pre-order it on Amazon fairly soon. I do the top 101 prospects in baseball for that. And then we roll back out in the new year with the Cardinals, and I think I've got like 13 lists after that. And then sometime in February, I get to sleep again. Uh, I don't. I, obviously, we don't want to take away from the uh, from the annual, but do you think you give us a hint who might be at the top of the 101? Oh, no, it's Frank Rowe Jr. Like, oh, I, oh, right, I, course, I don't think I've made any secret about that uh, at any <laughs> point. I'm not spoiling anything. No, no spoiler there. All right, well, uh, well, Jeff, again, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you uh, next week or later this week, sorry, on Birds All Day.